Well, my name is Brett Weston. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm also the church planting resident, which means that our family is going to be planting a church out of Deer Creek just over a year from now. And we're currently in a series called A New You. And if you missed last week's message, I'd encourage you to go find that on our webpage, go find that on Facebook and watch or listen to that. I heard it was really good. Uh, And last week we talked about a new life. We talked about um, in the series of A New You, one of the ways that God wants to give us a new you that we all want is to give us new life. And after he gives us new life, we, we found that there are good works that he planned for you to do in his name for his glory. And what a great and amazing part of new life. The good works do not get us good life, but they are the the result of a new life that he has planned for you. And this week we're going to see, we're going to look at at the same passage, but we're going to see that in addition to a new life, God gives you a new home. So, So for those who are in Christ Jesus, you have new life. And part of that is a new home. Now, I have a five-year-old daughter named Chloe, and some of you have five-year-old little girls. And uh, one of the things Chloe likes to do is to uh, play princess. And in fact, just last week, she comes downstairs and she says that she was actually a superhero cheetah warrior princess. And so I'm thinking, why do you need the word princess on the end of that? I mean, superheroes are awesome, cheetahs are awesome, and warriors are awesome. So why do you even need that princess on there? But there's something about being royal that's kind of captivating, isn't it? There's something that's that, that part of being a, a king in a kingdom and, and, and an integral part of that that's captivating uh, to us. And so as we move forward in our series about a new you, what if I told you that as a new you, as new life, part of that you get is you get to be part of a kingdom. And that is what the Bible says. The Bible says that through Jesus, we get a new home, a new reference point. So this new home helps us identify, gives us an identity of where we are from, where we belong, and to whom we belong if we are in Christ Jesus. And the Bible describes this new identity, this new home, as being part of a kingdom. So let's take a look. And like I said, this is the passage that we looked at last week, but we're going to see something different this morning, hopefully. So if you'll turn, if you have a Bible on your phone, if you have a Bible with you, or you can follow along on the screen... Turn to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It says this, it says, Now there was a Pharisee, these were the the, the religious sort of ruler, religious elite of the time. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to spirit. So we see going on here, there's something called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, we can't even see it. We can't even enter it unless we have new life. And I would even say that this kingdom that God is talking about is something that we were made to see, we were made to enter and be a part of. And new life is the start of that. 
So chances are, if you're like me, you understand things like new life. And maybe we don't know how to get that. We don't know what that looks like or what to do with it, but we sort of understand it. We see new life happening. We experience it. But when it comes to kingdoms and kings, that's kind of strange to talk about nowadays, isn't it? And so our five-year-old daughters may like this talk about kings, but red-blooded Americans, we don't even like to talk about kings. And we certainly don't like the spread of kingdoms. In fact, kings are supposed to be overthrown and spreading kingdoms are supposed to be stopped. That's kind of the American value sometimes, isn't it? Except when it comes to watching royal weddings, we're okay with those. They said estimates are 1.2 billion people tuned in to watch the last royal wedding. And I'll bet you anything those people are thinking, I like to watch this, but I want to be ruled by those people, right? So when it comes to kings and kings, we don't talk this way anymore. We don't deal in that sort of thing anymore, but it sort of fascinates us. And here's the interesting thing is that people in Jesus's time, they would have understood the king and the kingdom part. They understood how that worked, but they still did not understand what Jesus was saying. They were still confused about his talk about kings and kingdoms. So in the first four gospels alone, the word kingdom is used 120 times or so. So people were hearing this a lot from Jesus. And the original audience would have understood the words to Nicodemus in John 3 to be the same power dynamic that typically was associated with kingdoms and emperors of the time. Because the kingdom of God was never mentioned in the Old Testament, but they would have had this understanding that in the Old Testament, Israel saw herself as a people who had God as their king. Now, eventually Israel had human kings, but they always, always saw themselves as a people ruled by God himself. Now, eventually they began to think, Israel began to think that because they were the chosen people of God, because God was their king, he would bless Israel no matter what they did, no matter how they lived, how they acted. And not only would he continue to bless them, he would actually cut off and not bless other nations who didn't have God as their king. Now, eventually Israel looked to other kings, other gods for blessing, and they were captured and put in servitude. And so when Jesus was talking at this time, they were actually Israel, Israelites were under the rule of Rome, under the Caesars of Rome. And so if you can imagine being ruled by a foreign people and they hear Jesus, they hear him start talking about a kingdom, not just a kingdom, but a coming kingdom, a spreading kingdom, a growing kingdom. And they would have immediately thought political restoration, restoring the glory days of Israel as a theocracy. So in effect, the coming kingdom of God would make Israel great again. Sorry, I had to do that. Some of you picked up on that, some of you didn't. It's okay. It's probably good you didn't. And sometimes, here's the thing about that. Sometimes Christians today can have that same desire, right? Let's let's be great again. Let's make make Christians sort of the the, the non-suffering, the ruling class, if you will. So here's Jesus telling a member of the Israelite religious rite, the Pharisee Nicodemus, that's what he was, He's saying, you can't even see the kingdom. You can't even enter the kingdom unless you receive a new birth. It's shocking. It's confusing. So why wouldn't the most politically active religious guy that we know 
be able to see and enter this religious political takeover that's about to happen. And Jesus makes it very clear throughout the rest of his time that the reason is because the kingdom of God is not a power dynamic. It's not just an earthly kingdom. The kingdom of God refers to the reign and the rule of God through which he is in the process of restoring, renewing, and reclaiming all things, starting with his own people. And he's doing those things for the blessing of those people and also for his own glory through the saving work of Jesus. So if the kingdom of God, when Jesus talks about the kingdom, if it's not a theocracy, if it's not Christendom, if it's not a power dynamic, how are we supposed to understand for us in modern times what it means to have new life and that new life allow us to be able to see and enter a kingdom? Does all this kingdom talk have any bearing, any relevance on our modern life right now? Well, a survey was recently done, a sampling of adults, ages about 20 to 60 in that range. The survey was done in almost every major city from all walks of life. And the point of the survey that was done this year was to find out, is there any common longing, any common desire of humanity in general? Would there be anything that human beings seem to want in life that we all have in common? Now, this, this wasn't a religious survey. It was a survey across all worldviews. And here's what they found. It's very interesting. The results of the survey found that men and women, young and old, urban, suburban, religious, non-religious, every ethnic group, every economic class, it boiled down to wanting three basic things in life. Peace, prosperity, and a purpose. And how they define those things, peace was the absence of anxiety. If you think of of all of the anxiety in the world, think about the anxiety of just getting up and thinking through your day or thinking through the current state of the world or thinking through the future of your family, your kids, whatever. That anxiety, people decide, I just want peace. I want the freedom from anxiety. The next thing you want is prosperity. And, and, and not in terms of material things that are fleeting, but pro- prosperity in the sense of stability. Because everybody surveyed, and I imagine if, if, if you would ask anyone in here, I know if you ask me, I would say this. I feel like sometimes our lives are so rootless and transient. You just, we never know. Are we, you know, are we gonna say the same jobs, the houses, friends, relationships, whatever. Life is rootless and transient sometimes. Purpose, the definition of purpose was a deeper meaning beyond the busyness and boredom of life. And so people thought, if I, if I can see a bigger story, a better story, if I can see a purpose for my life beyond just the busyness and boredom of life, that would meet this basic deep longing in my life. And now we could talk about, as I mentioned, the, the, the gospels alone talk about the kingdom, the idea of a kingdom over 120 times. So we could obviously spend a long time talking about the kingdom of God. But I want to talk about it from the three basic points of those longings, the three basic longings of humanity and how the kingdom of God fulfills those longings. So the picture that the Bible gives of this thing called the kingdom of God actually does that. It presents them as fulfilling all of these longings. And that's a big claim. Can the Bible live up to it? And not always in the ways that we expect, but it does live up to that claim of satisfying all those longings. So let's see what the Bible has to say about these three things. 
peace. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you need water and the spirit to be in this new kingdom. So if kingdom was confusing enough, now we got to add this sentence in there. Water and the spirit. What is that talking about? Well, sprinkling with water was a symbol of atonement. It was a symbol of being sprinkled by the blood of a sacrifice and having your sins completely paid for and forgiven. And the spirit was the indwelling presence of God. So the first clue that someone like Nicodemus, the first clue that we get about this kingdom is that in order to see it, in order to enter it, we have to have our sins forgiven and we have to have God dwelling in and through us, through his spirit and not just dwelling in some temple far away. So the peace that the kingdom of God offers is a peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that passes all the wars and trials and anxiety that we face because it's eternal. It's a peace that's not only good just in this life. And that's why he's saying you enter by the spirit, you enter by water. He's saying, if you are right with God, if you are made right with the eternal God, you have a peace that is not just good for this life, but for all eternity. And even if our life circumstances are not filled with peace, even if the world circumstances do not have peace, those who are in Christ will have peace in eternity, peace without end. You see, those surveyed, and I imagine if you ask you and if someone asks me, we don't want peace that lasts for a moment. We don't want peace that's just fleeting. It's almost worse to have peace that lasts for a moment. And that's not the kind that the kingdom of God offers. It offers a lasting peace available only through Christ. You see, the sufferings and trials of this life don't have the final word any longer than just one lifetime. That's the best they can do. The best our trials can do, the best our sufferings can do is just, they've got to say for one life, one lifetime. But not even then, because right now we can have peace with God through what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So there's the peace of being made right with God, the peace of having his presence with you. We can also have peace through this kingdom because when you think about it, think about being under the rule of a king. What does that mean? It means you're not in ultimate control anymore. And I think me just saying that makes some people have anxiety. All right, now wait, you mean I'm not in control? And other people hear that and say, oh, I'm not in control. That's great. You see, not being ultimately in control the ability for that fact to give you peace depends on who actually is in control. Nobody's in control, which is kind of how my house feels at times and in our lives probably feel like, hey, who's in control here? That doesn't bring peace. And see, if I'm in control, because honestly, I know that was sort of my worldview before understanding who Jesus is, was, is that I, I must be in control. And if I'm in control of the universe and all these things are happening there is extreme anxiety because I know that eventually I'm going to come to the end of myself. I can't see the future. And if I could, I don't always do things that are beneficial to myself and others. And I'll bet you're the same way. But see, we can have peace in the kingdom because we know the king. At least we can. You can know the king if you read his word and if you interact with those that truly know him. We can have peace in the kingdom right now because we know the king. Knowing the king of the kingdom and having peace with him gives those in his kingdom peace right now, no matter the circumstances. 
You see, because the Bible paints this picture and it would actually encourage you to go and find all the places it talks about the kingdom. Because it paints this picture that the kingdom of God is already here, but it's not yet here in all of its fullness. There's this already but not yet aspect to the kingdom of God. So we can have peace right now by faith because we know, we have hope that all this suffering will end but that peace is by faith right now. One day we will have a peace for all eternity that will be by sight. Full and complete peace. But I just want to encourage you that you can know the king right now and he's a good king. And because he's a good king, that is why we can release ultimate control. Because I don't think we can truly have peace without releasing complete control to the king. I just don't think we can. And the interesting thing is that a lot of times with the spirit and the water, a lot of times we, we sort of submit to Jesus to atone for our sins, to forgive us and indwell us with his presence. And yet, I know for me, I don't always like that whole relinquishing control thing. But we cannot and we will not have peace unless, unless we relinquish control to the king. And he's a good king. He doesn't want to destroy you. He doesn't want to just crush you. He's a good king. So that's peace. What about prosperity? Man, we all long for stability in our busy, bored, and rootless lives, don't we? Isn't that sort of an interesting thing that we do if we're so busy that we actually get bored a lot of times, especially in suburban life? But being a citizen of God's kingdom means that our home is in heaven. It's not here. So no matter how many times the life of a kingdom citizen gets uprooted and upended here in this life, we can know where our true home is. A kingdom citizen knows where their true home is. So Christians end up feeling sometimes like foreign ambassadors spending time on foreign soil, knowing the whole time where their true home is. But at the same time, followers of Jesus, kingdom citizens feel rooted in a kingdom that transcends this world. And that makes us firmly rooted in something unchanging and eternal, the grace of God. So the prosperity that we long for is this stability that we're in this life now, but we know that's not all that, that there is. This life and what happens here is not our identity as kingdom citizens for those who are in Christ. And we don't get prosperity maybe in terms of things or money. The Bible never promises that. Don't believe anyone that tells you it does. And the interesting thing is when surveying most people, most people didn't even want temporary things to bring prosperity. Most people didn't even want that because human beings know deep down that those kind of things are fleeting. But for those who are in God's kingdom, there's a stability in a prosperity because our lives, our house, our identity is built on the rock of Christ. And so this new life in the kingdom of God, this, 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 this invitation satisfies the longing for peace and prosperity. What about purpose? How can the kingdom of God, how can something like the kingdom that Jesus talks about satisfy our longing for purpose? And this is the one I believe is most misunderstood and missed by Christians. is missed by myself a lot of times. So kingdoms, kingdom citizens have this purpose, just like the peace, just like the prosperity. We have, they have a purpose that affects both the now and not yet aspects of our lives. 
Kingdom citizens have a purpose that's greater than just this hamster wheel of busy and bored that consumes our lives. See, the purpose of a citizen of this kingdom for those that call themselves Jesus is eternal. It doesn't change. So sometimes it can feel like, well, my purpose when I was younger was this. Now my purpose is this. But for a citizen of the kingdom, our purpose actually doesn't change. Our purpose as kingdom citizens is to be agents of Jesus himself for restoration and renewal in whatever sphere he has placed you. See, the sphere where he has placed you might change, but your purpose never does. That is what we have if we are a citizen of this kingdom that Jesus is talking about. See, sometimes Christians, sometimes I can act like a messenger with no message. Like I'm an ambassador to a foreign land. I know this isn't my home and I have to deliver a message from the king But a lot of times I just stay silent and I just enjoy the pleasures of the foreign land instead. And I keep silent. So one of the verses in scripture that should give Christians most hope, and I think it does, is Philippians 3.20. And Philippians 3.20 says this, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because a Christian's identity, orientation, citizenship, identity, whatever you want to say, is not just here on earth for a fleeting time, we do have peace, we do have prosperity, we do have purpose right now, but there's still struggles, isn't there? There's still suffering, there's still anxiety, there's still trials. And so a verse like Philippians 3.20 gives us hope. Now, we, we are eagerly awaiting Jesus to come back. And sometimes that's all we can do in a given week is just wait for Jesus to come back, depending on the week. Sometimes that's all we want to do. Sometimes all I want to do is wait, especially when I'm tired. I'm tired of serving. I'm tired of suffering. I'm tired of giving constantly. And sometimes all I want to do is I want to wait. But the kingdom of God is meant to grow and it's meant to spread and it's meant to grow and be spread by those who are in it, by the citizens of the kingdom. So it's interesting. So a lot of times when Jesus mentions the kingdom, it's actually him trying to explain what it means for people. And so in Mark 4, uh, chapter 4, verses 30 through 34, Jesus says, he's talking to an audience who says, I don't understand. Just like you and me, we say, I don't understand. Jesus says, how should we picture the kingdom of God? By what parable, what story shall we understand it? He says, it's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all other seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. So the kingdom of God starts out small, and it did. It started out very small, 12 people, 13. Followers grew and grew and grew. It started out so small, but it grew. But I love that at the end. It's like the passage we saw last week. I love it at the end that this growth has a purpose. And the purpose rarely is only the end user. The purpose is for the end user, of course, but it's not just for that. So he said, once it to grow, it's going to spread. It's going to start out small. It's become big so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. 
You see the purpose of the kingdom of God spreading through the citizens of the kingdom is to give shade to everyone, even those who are not in the kingdom yet, even those who can't even see it yet. The purpose of it is to give shade to all, to be a blessing to all. So churches, and and this is from a lot of other data that's out there, churches and those of us that are in them are increasingly seen as irrelevant in society, irrelevant outside these walls. And and there's those of us that that come every week or once a month. Um, I could have called anybody out, but no, I'm just kidding. There's those of us that come every week, you know, regularly, and we kind of get it. We get why we're here. But the church and people in the church are increasingly seen by societies irrelevant because it seems like churches are just a place, a waiting hall for Christians to just gather and wait, get more information about the king and just kind of wait for him. And that may not be true of any churches. That may not be true of most churches, but that's how churches can be perceived. See, here's the problem. Here's what happens sometimes is that Christians, I and those of us who who call ourselves followers of Christ, can see ourselves as citizens of heaven, which is good. So we drop out of our earthly citizenship. Sometimes I myself can be so heavenly minded that I'm no earthly good. But the problem with that is that Christians were made to be both the destination of the blessings of the kingdom and the pipeline through which those blessings flow to others. See, God has entrusted the life-giving message of Jesus to those who call themselves by his name. I don't think I would have done that if I was him. As the king to grow and expand his kingdom, he tells the citizens of the kingdom to spread that message. And so here's the interesting thing, without kingdom citizens who have the message offering it to others and living it out, there's no life for anyone. So the new life that Jesus is offering to Nicodemus saying, here's new life. You need to be born again, born new. I'm offering you a new life. Once you get a new life, I'm offering you a new home. None of that is possible if kingdom citizens do not share about the king and the kingdom. If kingdom citizens don't live out and share the new life that they've found in Christ. See that life-giving message It can't give life unless it's shared. When I was in college, I took a scuba class and it's always uncomfortable for air breathers to breathe underwater. That will never be natural. But when you're under there with scuba, you know that you need that air on your back to survive. You know that you are under there. You have no way of getting life without that air on your back. And so your instructor will do something cruel and unusual if you spend time in scuba long enough, they will send two people down with one air tank. It's called buddy breathing, although nobody ever comes up buddies after they're done. So I go down with this guy and we're sort of swimming, you know, very awkwardly for college kids, like we're sharing a spaghetti noodle or something. And we're swimming along and the agreement was that we would take two breaths and pass it. Didn't sign a contract, you know, didn't any of that, but just sort of this agreement. I take two, you take two. I take two, you take two. After a couple times doing this, I sense that my buddy is getting kind of agitated, which makes me agitated. And then he starts keeping the regulator for himself in his mouth more than the two breaths, because I'm counting. You better believe I'm counting. 
So pretty soon I kind of get a signal, hey, hey, what about me, you know? And after a little more time passes, every time I go to get some of this life-giving air that he has, he claws at my face and my chest and rips it out of my mouth and takes it back for himself. It's awful. So I'm like, okay, okay, he's freaked out. So I, I give him four breaths. And it's, you know, then I have to give him five. Then I give him six. And pretty soon it's apparent that he just wants to keep all of this air for himself, all of it, not just two breaths, but all of it. And there's no other way for me to get this air than going through him. He has to share it with me. So things are starting to go gray, you know, a little tunnel is forming. And finally, I just give up. I put my foot on his chest for leverage. I rip that thing out of his mouth and I give him a shove to the surface. And so my buddy is now at the surface and I have the life-giving air. It's my only way to get it from him. And he's not my buddy anymore. (laughs) Do I do that? Do we do that as the church? and Christians when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. See, we're told to share, right? We're told that, that what we have is life. Without it, there is no life. But sometimes I just want to keep all that new life for myself. The problem is there's nowhere else to get it except through kingdom citizens sharing the blessing of new life and living it out and living kingdom lives right now. See, the message of Jesus is so amazing. It's so necessary that people are literally dying apart from God who need to encounter it. And they need to encounter it through the citizens of the kingdom. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Isn't that interesting? So what do we do? What do we do with this? Well, like we open the message saying, if you don't have new life, the new life that Jesus is talking about, or if you're unsure of that, that you can enter into the kingdom right now by faith, it's great. This is exactly where you should be. But talk to someone, talk to someone today. See, the Apostle Paul finishes the verse I just read. It's not the end of it. It's not complete. He finishes 2 Corinthians 5.20 saying to all who would hear, he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You can have peace with God right now. God has peace and prosperity and purpose. The things you are longing for right now in him alone. So in fact, like, like uh, uh, Trevor and Aaron both mentioned, there's a connect card in the seat pocket in front of you. And there's a box on there that says, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. And even if you're not sure of that yet, if you just have questions, just check that box and, and, and hand it to someone at the welcome table. We're not gonna ask you to do anything weird. We're not gonna track you down or just, just have a conversation if you want that. And those of you that are joining us online, if you wanna go to our website, our Facebook page, connect with us. If you have questions, if you're ready to do that or you just wanna know more, what a great way to start a new life and a new identity and a new home. For those who identify as Christian already, know that you have new life. You have a new home. You are a kingdom citizen. And that home means comfort in all of life's difficulties. Please know that. Comfort right now, right here. You have a king who sees you, a good king, a king who loves you and left his throne 
to hang on a cross. I don't know of any other king or kingdom where the king loves his people, loves the citizens so much that he leaves his throne and hangs on a cross so that they could enter the kingdom. We serve a good king. Those of you that have new life in this room this morning, death, suffering, heartache, and pain will not have the final say. They just will not. But I would tell you this also, that sometimes the best way to pull out of pain and heartache today is to live for something greater than just today. If you've entered into new life as a kingdom citizen, as a follower of Jesus, you get both the comfort of eternal life to come and you get a commission to share that with others. You have a comfort and you have a commission. And see, one without the other is incomplete. It's too small of a story. Just having a commission without comfort is a harsh kingdom to live in. But just having comfort without the commission, it's too small of a story. See, Jesus taught us to pray. He said, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so let's pray that Denver would look more like things do in heaven where Jesus reigns, where people experience wholeness and flourishing in Christ. Let's contribute to human flour- to the flourishing of our cities and our communities in the name of Jesus as citizens of the kingdom. That's why Deer Creek is planting new churches. That's why our family is planting a new church. It's not just to have more Presbyterian worship centers in Denver. Believe me, that's not the case. It's boring. Not that Presbyterians are boring. It's too small of a story, isn't it? It is. You see, we're planting new churches. Deer Creek is planting new churches because we love our city in Jesus' name. We care about those who are in the city. As citizens of the kingdom, we care about citizens in our community. And we can spread the kingdom of God in our communities by praying for our neighbors, serving our neighbors, sharing Jesus, when it's appropriate. We can do things like our service day coming up, this coming Saturday. So even things like building a playground are spreading the kingdom, giving shade to more and more people, light to others, helping care for aging parents, doing your job with excellence, joining the PTA, whatever ordinate, that's kingdom stuff. It's kingdom stuff helping people, caring about the environment, caring about our communities. This is how citizens of the kingdom can be a pipeline for that blessing and not just the destination. So let's pray this. Let's pray that the kingdom, that God's kingdom would come, God's will would be done in our communities in Denver and in the world as it is in heaven through those who are citizens of that kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that the story we are living in right now is not all that there is. There is a right now and there's a not yet. But this story we are living in matters. It matters to us who are in the kingdom and it matters to those who are not yet in the kingdom. Father, I thank you that you have not just made us the destination for your blessings. That alone would be good, but not good enough. You have given us a bigger story, your story, your kingdom to live in by making us 
a pipeline for those blessings to go to a needed world, to share the life-giving air, the life-giving message of a king who left his throne to hang on a cross and die for his people and for those people who are not in his kingdom yet. Father, I pray for those who are here who don't know you, that you would just erase from their minds ways that, that, that Christians have, have hoarded the kingdom, ways that Christians have hurt and, and misused our citizenship, that you would heal that and turn our hearts to you. And for those who do name the name of Jesus in this room, I pray that we would go out in the power of your Holy Spirit and contribute as kingdom citizens, as earthly citizens to the flourishing of our communities in the name of Jesus for the glory of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.